Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your goodness. And Lord, thank You for a morning where we can uh, reflect on Your goodness in really real practical ways by looking at slides that, that really reflect what You are doing in individual lives in this church and in this church as a whole. So Lord, we just corporately want to say thank You. Thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your blessings. Thank You for Your provision, this facility. And now, Lord, uh, we thank You for Your Word once again. And as we uh, continue uh, understanding what the Bible teaches about Your goodness, uh, Lord, uh, open our hearts and minds this morning through Your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Counselor. Lord, uh, not just that we would understand it, but then uh, make real-life practical application. And in that, we would be transformed and mature. Continue to mature in our faith. Not just fill our, our lives with busy schedules all related to church events, but Lord, that we would truly mature as we are not just hearers but doers of Your Word. So we love You and I give this time in Your Word to You now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people sit. Amen. Amen. So the goodness of God. We are looking at the goodness of God. Psalm 34, 8. You don't have to turn there. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinners in His way. Psalm 119, 68, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. We have been spending several weeks, this is actually our sixth week, if you can believe that, on the goodness of God. And I would have guessed that six weeks ago, some of us would have said, what's, what's, what's so hard about that? until you begin to make application to the goodness of God and you realize, wow, this goodness of God kind of affects everything in my life. And last week we saw in a very practical way that the goodness of God affects our priorities, right? We saw in Matthew 6, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, right, verse 25 to 34, very powerful passage where three times Jesus says not to worry, don't worry, don't worry, right? Look at the goodness of God in nature, how He provides. And then it says in verse 32, Matthew 6, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, right? And He says, hey, you believers, you followers of Christ, you have a relationship, a covenant relationship with God, your Father, a good God, an all-powerful God. Why are you acting like people, the pagans, who don't know God? Don't adopt their value system. Don't adopt their priorities. Don't get caught up in the worry, anxiety that those people live with constantly. Because your Father... Your good Heavenly Father knows what you need. And last week we were really challenged because the next verse says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Verse 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. How many things in your life can be first? There's one first. And that means there's a choice. 
there's a choice we have to make about what will be first. You know, and, and sometimes in athletics, you, you know, people will, you know, second place, third place, and they'll say, well, second place is just first loser. <laughs> right? Right? Kind of brutal, right? Second place is first loser. So I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want you to be first loser. Hmm. He says, hey, you know, your heavenly Father, He knows what you need. And all that energy, all that resource, all, the, all your effort you put into worry and acting like people who don't know God, I want you to take all of that, if you could quantify it, I want you to put all of that into seeking me first. What difference would that make? What difference would that make? If somehow you could quantify all your worry about the stuff of life, you could quantify it and say, I'm going to take all that worry, all the priorities and all the things that I do to meet all these needs that Jesus says my Father knows, I'm going to take all of that effort and energy, whatever quantified that is, and I'm going to put it into seeking God first. What difference would that make? That's real life. That's practical. You know, I shared with you at the end of last Sunday the challenge I've, I've had in the past with my phone being right next to my bed. So I would wake up in the morning. The first thing I would do would turn it on and check my emails and the world news. Right? So I kind of confessed that last Sunday. So <laughs> it got real. Monday morning, I went, okay, what am I going to do? And so what I did was um, uh, I actually put a... Uh, uh, a different reading plan in place. So, so now I have something to do. It's not that I just don't look at email and don't look at the news. Rather than just putting it off and have, leaving blank, I replaced it with something. So now when I wake up, when I click on my phone, I have my daily p- reading plan that I need to do first. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes when we think of reprioritizing our life with Christ, we think, oh, just stop doing stuff. Just stop doing stuff. Just stop doing stuff. That's only half. That's half the deal. The Bible says you're to put off the old and put on the new. So, so if you have a desire to reprioritize your life, sure, you're going to have to choose to say no to things, but don't forget to say yes to other things to replace that. Amen? You understand that? That's where a lot of people, you know, oh, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that. So you're at home like, now what? Now what am I supposed to do? And if you're not careful, you just start to slide back to the old patterns because you weren't proactive to put on the new patterns. right? So if we're going to seek first the kingdom of God because He's good and knows all of our needs, it takes some real-life practical decisions. What am I going to do first? What does that mean to keep Him first, not just at the beginning of the day, but first throughout the day? First throughout the day, right? So last week it was God's goodness impacting our priorities. Today we want to start looking at God's goodness and how it impacts our prayer, our prayer life. You ever um, have to go talk to your boss about something or your parent or a teacher and been scared? Anyone? I don't know. Hmm. You go. I don't want to go. You go talk to them, right? And this perception, this image that you have of this authority figure that you need to go speak to and maybe request something. How many have ever been scared to ask for time off? It's on the books. 
right? It's on the books. They owe it to you. It's, it's nothing like out of the ordinary. But how many of you still get nervous about asking for time off? What are you really scared of? Their reaction. Isn't it? You're really scared of their kind of their reaction or a rejection. Right? And so think about it. In, in, in your human interactions, the perception you have of this person that you need to go speak to and request something from is very powerful emotionally. Very powerful to, to whether or not you're even going to do it. How many of you, you've been so nervous and anxious, you just kick it down the road? And maybe your spouse says, you do that yet? Uh, no. You do that yet? Uh, no. And you're just not doing it because you're scared. You're nervous. Whatever. Fear of rejection, fear of getting your, your head bit off, fear of, right? Whatever. This, 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 this. Right? Well, how many of us, have taken the time to go, well, when it comes time to talking to my Father in heaven and asking Him for things, how many of us may have that carryover? Hmm. He's kind of busy running the world. I'm not so sure He wants to hear me again. Right? And, and so we may even approach prayer hesitantly. We may approach prayer fearfully. We may approach prayer in anxiety or hesitation all because we have an incomplete or inaccurate picture of God. Of God. How many of you, take it the right way, how many of you grew up and, you know, before you got all adulty about Santa Claus, right? When you believed in Santa Claus or whatever, how many of you, like, made the list? Like, this is what I want. And I better get it. Right? You just like, bam, pages. Pages. You didn't care how much it cost. You didn't care whatever. Just Santa, this is what I want. Right? See, in, a, in, a, in this very powerful way, Santa feels good. Right? We kind of have this, this emotional connection to the goodness and generosity of approaching Santa with our lists. I mean, how many thousands of people still write to the North Pole? Right? They do. Right? The post office up there gets letters constantly to Santa. Why? Because we feel really good about letting Santa know what's on our list. And, we're ex- and here's the crazy thing. We expect to get it. Right? We kind of have this deep anticipation. Well, Santa, he, he knows. And, and he's going to give me what, what, what I want, right? Apart from the whole Santa thing, I'm talking about the very positive, comfortable approach we have to letting Santa know our needs because of his goodness and generosity, right? Many of us did not grow up with the fear of Santa biting our head off. No, let Santa know and good to go. Well, I want to I make that connection, that emotional connection to the goodness of God in prayer. In our prayer. Why is this important in prayer? Because sometimes we're not praying with enthusiasm. We're not praying with passion. We're not even praying because we, we don't see God as a good God. We don't see God as someone that, that wants to know our needs. We don't see God as someone who wants to take care of us. We kind of feel like sometimes in prayer we're bugging Him. We're a nuisance. 
We're the problem child. Or we come to God in prayer feeling like we have to beg. We have to beg. Or we have to appease Him. Or we're like, you know, God, you know, if you, if you got something laying around that you don't need, can you kind of kick it my way? Right? We kind of come in with this sort of less than, sort of inferiority complex to God in prayer, and, and it really demotivates us. It really, right? How many of you have someone in your life that you just enjoy being with because of their good person? You call them good, generous, they're just, right? fun, whatever. You enjoy being with them, right? They're affirming, they're, they're enthusiastic, whatever, right? They're very supportive of you. You just have a good vibe, and so you like hanging out with them. Why don't we have that same good vibe when it comes to just praying and spending time with God? Why is it such a chore? Why is it such a chore, right? How many of you could spend time with a group of of lady friends or guy friends and the time just passes by. Anyone? Oh, where did the time go? You know? For years and years my wife would go out with their friends and then, oh, honey, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. And what are they doing? They're just talking. They're just, talk- they're just enjoying being together. Right? Where's that good, that goodness sense that, that, that somehow we get this and prayers and there's God way out there, and we just got to take a number and wait in line. No, so that the, the importance of understanding the goodness of God in our heart and approach to this thing we call prayer. To this thing we call prayer. So look in Matthew 7. We're going to start there. Matthew 7. Verse 7. Ask... And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more, right? If you want to circle, underline, highlight, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Verse 7 again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay, very important. We've been talking about maturity. We've been talking about Wednesdays and the need to be in the Word for yourself. You really, really, really need to learn to study Scripture. And, and, and like the Bereans, you know, get into it. Because here's the deal. There's a lot of false teaching out there. There's a lot, there's a lot that, that if you're not knowledgeable of the Word, here's the thing. You can make this say anything you want it to. People can twist this. They can pull it out of context. They can pull one verse, one word, and they can just create an entire belief system because they're making the Bible say what they want it to say. Okay? So, so one of the real important parts about, about interpreting the Bible, okay, is this word context. Everyone say context. 
which means what comes before it, what comes after it, where does it lay in that, in that particular book or letter, and how does it fit in the whole Bible? What's the context of this verse? I say that because these two verses right here have been taken out of context very often. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. This has been often taken out of context. Well, there you go. It's a blank check. It's just a blank check. Name it. Claim it. It says right there. Ask and you're going to receive. Thanks, Santa. And entire organizations and churches are built on this idea that if you ask, according to those verses, you're going to get what you ask for. Got to be real careful. Got to be real careful with that. The context, the immediate context of this is it's what's called in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, it's the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 all the way through the end of Matthew 7. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling his disciples what it's like to live according to kingdom principles, which are supernatural. Okay, that's the Sermon on the Mount. All right, the principle here is not Santa Claus blank check. When it says ask, seek, find, those verbs are keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It's just a principle of consistency and perseverance in prayer. That's the principle here. The principle is God's going to answer. But when it says keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, he's saying, hey, in the context, I'm just telling you, continue, be consistent, be persistent, be constant. And it's called a prayer life. So the principle here is you live a life of prayer. It never stops. Okay, radically different than name it, claim it, blank check. You get what I'm saying? The principle here is we're to live a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of dependency. Okay, very important that we understand what's going on here, right? In the context. Now, if we step out, we're going to do a survey of of help verses to help us understand what the Bible teaches about prayer to even help us understand how that's been twisted. So hang with me because it is very important that we understand what the Bible teaches about prayer. So look at Matthew 6. Let's go back to Matthew 6. We're just going to do a survey. I think in the spring, we're going to actually spend a whole lot of Sundays looking at what the Bible teaches about prayer. Okay, we're going to do a prayer series. But let me just give you a survey so you understand it's important to put things in context. Very important. So Matthew 6, let's look at verse 5. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before them. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And very familiar, right? So just, again, there's, there's a lot more to prayer than just name it and claim it. Just in those verses, right? He's giving, hey, you Christians, this is how you pray. It's different than the world, than the people who don't know. Okay, turn to 1 John 5. Book of First John. Sorry, Bill. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna steal some thunder here. 
1 John 5. Remember, we're looking at a Bible survey on what the Bible teaches about prayer as a whole. Okay? So the first one is, as believers, in Matthew 6, we saw, hey, there's a different way that we're to approach prayer. Our Father, our Abba. We don't need to be out on the street corners doing it for show. Look at this one. Matthew 5.14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, what? According to His will, He hears us. And we, if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have asked of Him. What's the key in those two verses? According to His will. Okay, we've got to pray according to His will. It's not just name it, claim it, ask, this is what I want, right? There's a, there's a principle in those verses of submission and praying according to God's will, right? Look at 1 John 3, 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because what? We obey His commands and do what pleases Him, Right? Another principle of prayer. You've got to be walking in obedience. You've got to be walking in obedience and living a life that pleases God. You can't just be throwing up a, a shopping list. Okay, so pray according to His will. You've got to be walking in obedience, right? Turn to James, right? We're going to turn a few books. Hebrews, James is right before 1 Peter, so it's just a couple books to your left. James 4.3. Look at what this says about prayer. James 4.3 When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong what? Motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Well, there goes my shopping list. Right? Another principle of prayer. What's your motive? Is it self-centered? Selfish? You're just asking God for your stuff? Okay, so again, putting it in context of what the Bible teaches. You've got to pray according to His will. You've got to be walking in obedience. You've got to check your motives. All of this is related to understanding biblical prayer, right? Now, guys, let's turn to 1 Peter 3. Look at this one. Look at this one, gentlemen. If you're married. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that what? Nothing will what? Hinder your prayers. What? Okay, ladies, give them that nudge. Give them that nudge right in the elbow, the shot in the ribs. Right? That's a far cry from name it and claim it. That's a far cry from, here, God, Santa, here's my shopping list. No, if you're a husband, he's like, hey, man, maybe the reason your prayers aren't being answered is how you're treating your wife. Right? We've got to understand what the Bible teaches as a whole about prayer. Right? And uh, let's go to James. Back to James. Look at this one. We'll close with this one. James 1. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe in what? Not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. 
for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. What's the principle of prayer there, right? Confidence versus doubt. Okay? So I share that with you, and it's in your notes there, but I, I just think it's so important, guys. If we're going to continue to mature in our faith, here's the thing. We've got to know what the Bible says. We really do. You know, in Ephesians it says part of maturity is, is as you mature, you're not going to be tossed to and fro. I heard this, and this person said this. I'm going there now, and then I'm going there. And the last time, what does it say in the end times? People are going to raise up false teachers because their ears want to be tickled. They don't want to endure sound doctrine. So I'll tell you, name it and claim it, ask and you're going to get it. Who likes that? That appeals to me. I would love to go to a place where that's taught and affirmed. And But you mean my prayer is affected by my relationship with my wife? My prayer is affected by my obedience? I'm supposed to pray according to His will? That's the full picture of biblical prayer. Right? And so underlying all of that is God's goodness. Is God's goodness. So go back to Matthew 7. We're going to summarize this and then we'll pick up here next week. Matthew 7. Look at what it says here. so awesome. Matthew 7. So we, we, we answered 7 and 8, right? The context, what he's really saying is a lifestyle of prayer. Consistent, persistent, persevering prayer, right? Matthew 7, 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. See the comparison there? Say, hey, if you earthly fathers, your evil, sinful, fallen nature, if you still know how to good give, give good gifts to your kids, how much more your good heavenly father, your perfect heavenly father. Right? Here, here, think of, okay, think of the best earthly father you can. Whether you had that or you haven't, but just think of, this is my ideal earthly father. Think of that. Perfect earthly father, right? Kind of what this analogy is saying, think of how good that perfect earthly father would be to you, to you. Now multiply that times infinity. That's your heavenly father. That's what he's saying. It's an argument what's called from the lesser to the greater. Hey, you earthly fathers, you know how to take care of your kids. You give them good gifts. Time out. How much more? How much more? Everyone say, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give good gifts to you, His child, when you ask? Isn't that awesome? That's the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God as it begins to impact our life of prayer. We approach Him as the Heavenly Father who wants to, everyone say wants to, wants to give you good. He wants to give you good things. Now, those good things may not always be what you think are good things. But here's the thing. When you trust in God's goodness, here's the radical thing. When He answers your prayer in a way that you didn't assume or anticipate, you still rest in His goodness. Because, remember that show, Father Knows Best. 
Why does Father know best? Because He's good. He's good. And we'll close with this illustration. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. And next week we'll pick up here and we'll just kind of look a little bit more at prayer. 2 Corinthians 12. Anybody remember a guy named the Apostle Paul? He prayed three times. He prayed. There was a something, a God allowed, you know, something to happen. He's like, Lord, I don't like this. Can you please take care of this? Look what he says, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. To keep me from being conceit, becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. We don't know for sure what it was. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Something big was, was troubling, was hurting, was, was a pain, a thorn in his flesh. Three times and he doesn't just pray, he pleads. Oh God, please, oh God, please take this away, take this away. God answered him. And what was his answer? Nope. Why? In God's goodness, he said no, but there was a specific reason for the no. And it's in verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited. You see God's goodness? God's goodness was this huge plan. And he said, no, Paul, I know what you're praying, but here's the real answer you need. Here's the real answer you need. And in my goodness, I'm going to give you what you need. I once asked these, when I was a youth pastor, I asked the kids this. I said, if God knew that if you won the lottery, $100 million, right? But if God knew that $100 million would destroy you, your wife, your kids, and your relationship with Him, do you trust God not to give you the lottery winning? Well, I don't know. I think I could handle it myself. (laughs) Do you trust God not to give you the lottery if He knows it's going to ruin you? Do you trust His goodness? See, that's what we're talking about. Submission. Resting in His goodness. You can bring your request to God, but when you do, you've got to trust His ultimate goodness. Amen? You've got to trust that Father does know best. And sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes it's a no. But regardless of the answer, it's always for your good. You get it? Sometimes it's yes. We focus on the answers instead of the goodness. You get it now? When you come to prayer, focus on the goodness. Whatever the answer. Let me ask you this. If $100 million was going to ruin your family, destroy your kids, how many of you right now don't want it? Okay. Then thank God for not giving it to you. I still think I could handle it. <laughs> no, right? That's the power of God's goodness. Make your request known to Him. And the peace of God guards your heart. Why does the peace of God guard your heart? Because He's good. And the good God, who wants to give us good things, will answer us according to His goodness. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray together.
And Shiloh and Vinny will come up and they're going to lead us in communion. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Your goodness even in prayer. You're not a stingy God. You're not a too busy God. You're not a God that's going to bite our heads off when we ask for things. It's just the exact opposite. You're a good God. You care for us. You want us to cast our cares upon You. But this morning we learn that in Your goodness You answer for our good. And we thank You. And I think of Jesus in the garden. And He prayed, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from Me, nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. Even Jesus yielded to Your ultimately good plan of redemption. He trusted in Your goodness that You had a plan of salvation, a plan of redemption, that He was a part of that, and so He yielded and trusted You. And so, Father, for us this morning, as we take communion, we do it in remembrance of You, Jesus, once again, but this morning... Perhaps we've been lacking in our prayer life. Maybe it's because we've never associated or connected prayer and your goodness, your generosity, your desire to answer our prayer according to your will. So, Father, we ask you to forgive us. And would you now begin to mature us in this area? would we now begin to understand what it is to pray to our good Heavenly Father who desires our good continuously and who answers our prayer according to His good. So Lord, we thank You. We give You this time of communion as a time of remembrance and reflection. Again, we're going to... uh, Take communion. You can come up as you uh, are ready. I encourage you, just use this as a time of quiet reflection and you can take communion uh, by yourself when you go back to your seats. And Just thank God for His goodness. Thank God for His goodness. And specifically in the area of prayer, ask Him to change your attitude and your approach to coming to your Heavenly Father with your needs. So we'll sing a song and have communion.